Welcome to episode four of the Permaculture Pimpcast. Yeah, where we take a pragmatic approach to permaculture, y'all. I'm Billy. And I'm William. And together we are our father-son team. And yes, pimp, P-I-M-P, means exactly what you think it does. Permaculture is my passion. But it's really our passion. Ain't that right, son? Yep. And if you haven't caught on by now, I'm his son. <laughs> to clear up any confusion. <laughs> yeah, well, let's start out right off the bat with the tip of the day. Be mindful who you team up with. And what I mean specifically is everybody right now, I'm getting a whole lot of emails and seeing a whole lot of responses out there from people saying, hey, man, I'm, I'm, I need to team up with somebody else to be able to do this. Is that a wonderful idea, son? It can be, and then it can also be the worst decision you ever made if, you're not, if it's not the right person. Um, Nicole talked quite a bit about it at that uh, – with that self-reliance festival, didn't she? Yeah, I think she had a like an ending speech on like who to team up with and stuff. Right, and I talked about it a fair piece at that event also. Um, you know, and I, I've said it before, you know, when you team up with somebody, folks, be especially cautious. I mean, act as if you're going to marry them. Because by and large, if you're on the same property together, then... Okay, I'm not suggesting any wife swapping. Yeah, what if, what if Garen, oh, Garen's uh, wife, no wife swapping here. Yeah, yeah, that was in one of the other videos. But yeah, at the end of the day, there's no um, there's no wife swapping or anything that I'm suggesting. What I'm suggesting is when you forward up with another group, you're going to have all of their problems, their proclivities, the good side, the bad side. And then there always seems, not always, but by and large, there always seems to be one spouse that everybody loves. And then there could be the other spouse that everybody loves, but it could also be that one that has gone into a kick, you know, kicking and scratching and not really digging it. So, and also I want to say, look, just because they are family doesn't necessarily make them good for your situation as we found out. But, you know, and I've said this, I said this before at the self-reliance festival, son, um, I made the example of saying, look, there was Noah that got on the ark along with his sons and their wives and Noah's wife, eight people on that ark, but nowhere in the story. Did you see anything about Noah bringing his cousins, his aunts and uncles, anybody else? I mean, so use that as an example for yourself, y'all. So just be really, really mindful who you team up with, because it's been one of the best and one of the worst experiences we ever had. And it just happened to be with family, right? Yeah. All right. So with that said, son, we're going to get into the farm news. Um, okay. So what's going on around here? Well, if you've probably noticed that we did a high tunnel video, um, if anybody's watching our YouTube channel, which is Permapastures Farm, we uh, retrofitted the high tunnel. We got the sides rolled up or at least one side so far. We're going to get the other yeah, one done. The, the bees are angry on the other side. So we need to leave them alone during the middle of the day. Right. And they love those comfrey, man. Bees absolutely are digging that comfrey, and there's a bunch of comfrey right on that side. Yeah, I was digging some up the other day and ended up getting stung. Yeah, they weren't happy. They're not happy right now. I think you're right about that. What were we saying? The barometric pressure yeah. affects the behavior of the bees. They, uh, they're they definitely angry right now. I never heard anybody say that before, but that's been my observation. Whenever it's thick and heavy outside, and if it's, if it's heavy here at about 3,000 feet, I can't imagine how nasty it feels at lower elevations. So... 
every single time it is like that, the bees are losing their ever-loving minds. So anyway, we got to be cautious around them. So other things... Even Milk Boy got stung yesterday. Yeah, near his eye. He got eye. stung right above his eye. Yeah. And then it completely disappeared today. Right. So, we, you know, we had that going on. Um, I'll be honest with you, folks. For the, a lot of people out there that are considering this lifestyle, this time of year... No exaggeration. We're putting in at least 16 hours a day, sometimes a lot more than that. So that's. Yeah, I mean, whenever the sun comes up and then whenever it goes down. Well, even when it's down, you're still working. I mean, there's times I'm up yeah. at. I'm, I'm responding sometimes. Uh, you may notice throughout the day, I mean, sometimes if you get a hold of me, I just take little pockets throughout the day where I take a little bit of time and respond as quickly as I can and as thoroughly as I can to everybody out there. So. It's been nonstop bone sauce working for me, but... um. So what else? Uh, harvested a few blueberries this morning. Yeah, how about Those that? Those were tasty. Uh, mom's working on calendula slash comfrey salve. Right. So that will come out in the future, possibly. Can't wait for that. But also, you know, it's the other part of that, folks. When it comes to farm, it's the biggest, the hardest thing to overcome. And it's, it's not really hard. It's just... Well, it can be, and that is prioritizing your tasks, which is really what the topic is going to be about today. What skills to prioritize on the homestead? So we're going to have a wide breadth, and we're going to hear it from both of our perspectives. And like I said from the very beginning, we are ordering these podcasts. At least we're not going to have any guests right off. It's just going to be us where you kind of get to know what we think about things, our perspective on things. And um, we're going to be honestly answering a lot of questions because, and, and so and that's why I love this format so much because there's, I can only do so much in a live because there are so many people right there. I can't really take the time to pinpoint answers the way I'd love to. Right. It's kind of off the cuff and it's not really a thought through answer most of the time on lives. Right. Right. So we're, we're going to, we're going to do the best we can within this forum to um, really expand on the beauty of having that email is that I can, what you don't realize folks is that if you have a question, believe it or not, there's a number of other people that have asked that same question. So I can really address those things. And that's what we're going to spend a fair time doing later on. And we also have time to research like your, some of your questions as well. So if we don't know right away, we have time now through the podcast to kind of look up the answers. A lot of them we already know the answers to, but it allows a, a, a fair bit of expansion on those questions. So let's move into uh, what's happening right now, what's relevant, okay? So they just announced the other day that there's going to be this year about 8 billion in the population on planet Earth. And of course, I'm sure that's having all the Malthusians, those Malthusian lunatics out there, you know, hoping and praying that it goes the other way. And if they have their way, that's exactly how it'll go down. So we're not going to, you know, let's let's prove them all wrong, y'all. There are interests, and I won't spend a lot of time talking about that, but there are interests in this world that don't want to see you and I on this planet. So let's feed them all one giant crap burger, and let's live and live wonderfully. How about that? I agree. All right. So let's get into, um, okay, the big thing going on right <laughs> right now son why don't you go ahead and play this clip because i think it's going to do better than me actually describing it all right here we go and as unique as the breakfast tacos here in san antonio <laughs> and keep in mind you ain't black if you didn't vote for biden <laughs> dude i heard that I, I was like oh my goodness this woman's a phd in what 
And and nobody was cheering. Everybody was like, oh. <laughs> yeah, and they were like, oh, did that just happen? Who was the speechwriter, man? And how did she look over this? Yeah, sounds perfectly normal to me. She went off script. <laughs> yeah, but would anybody be even the slightest bit surprised if, I mean, I, I think this is just... <laughs> Google's AI I mean, turned out to be racist. <laughs> no, what I think is going to happen, I think this is going to encourage Joe. You know, I think he's watched too many Red Fox, you know, things back in the day, and the guy's a lunatic anyway. But I can honestly see this dude standing up at an NAACP meeting and say, well, black people are as very, are as, you know, as varied as the various chicken dinners I've had over the years, like <laughs> Dave Chappelle. <laughs> or, you know, I can see this dude, you know, going to, let's say, an Indian race, Indian reservation in South Dakota saying something like, man, I ain't seen this many Indians out here since they made dances with wolves or something like that, you know. <laughs> Would it be that much of a surprise? Would it be that much of a it would not be a bridge too far to actually see that unfold. Yeah, I mean, this, this is absolutely crazy. All right, getting back into it. What skills to prioritize on the homestead now? This was given to me by one of the uh, listeners, wonderful lady named Jill out there had a bunch. William, I'm telling you, I think this lady is in my head, man, because everything she suggested by and large, I've already written down as show ideas because the truth is, honestly, y'all, we could do a sync. We could do a YouTube video every day. We could do a podcast every day and never run out of material. So if this podcast ever starts making money, we need to send her some to our royalties. <laughs> yeah, I guess she's our de facto producer. Thanks, Jill. Appreciate it. Um, yeah, she'll be asking for some money before too long and she deserves it. Um, but yeah, it's, it's pretty astonishing, man. Everything she wrote. And I, I want to thank everybody that wrote in. We're going to cover a lot of your questions as we get along. But she, she said, she gave me a list of show topics, and like I said, many of which are something I already had, you know, in mind. But regarding skills to prioritize when you're on the homestead, I think one of the more important skills that everybody overlooks is start with learning how to compost, because that's going to be the back. At least understand the the basics of composting, because that's going to be the backbone of fixing a lot of your problems with gardening, with uh, even grazing, because that's still an act of composting. I'd say before you even get in there to that, how about the prime directive of permaculture? Immediately, right out of the gates, take complete ownership of yourself and your family or anybody that's in your influence. I think you have to first make that conscious decision. And that's really, that's that's what drew me to permaculture right off the bat is that, whoa, uh, this component's like already baked in. You got my attention. Yeah. So... I'm thinking with that prime directive, okay, if I now have the understanding that I am responsible, and I've said it before, it's something you often learn in leadership school in the military, is that you are responsible for everything your family does and fails to do. So me being that person in this particular place, or you being the person under your household, if you have to, I mean, it, it just floors me that this even has to be said these days, because there was a time on this planet where it was universally understood, understood. Um, so yeah, I think that's a good place to start with, but, um, before you even get into this homestead journey, this is going to be very, very uncomfortable for people, son, as far as what I may recommend, I'm not sure what you're going to recommend because we didn't really talk about this beforehand folks. And 
you know, for the record, um, William did a podcast earlier this, well, actually just a oh, few days ago. Yeah, it was uh, Saturday, but it came out, uh, was it today? Yeah. Today, Tuesday? The yeah, it came out today. Yeah, it came out today. It's on the Confessionals podcast. It's an interview. I talk about my uh, UFO sightings and stuff like that. You guys should definitely check it out. Yeah. We'll leave it in the link or the description box below. Well, Tony said something in there that I am trying to replicate. It is well known in radio also when you do this. Here's the problem. When you when you talk to somebody before you actually do the interview, it will absolutely destroy uh, the actual interview. It will be nowhere near as good. So I'm doing the same thing when it comes to William, where he knows generally the topics I want to discuss, but I kind of I kind of leave him flat-footed as if it were something of an interview because I want you to hear the honest response right out of the gates. So when it comes to prioritizing, I mean, we could look at, you know, prioritizing tasks on the homestead, like I talked about in the farm news a bit ago, a bit ago. But as far as prior, what skills to prioritize, I think right at the top of the list, like I said, is the prime directive. Once you have ownership of that, I'm thinking, now this can be a very, this is a very broad response, but I'm going to say water procurement. Because, yeah. well, think about this, son. Depending on where you live, yeah. Exactly. And that's the one word you're going to hear in this pro- podcast. And in permaculture, so what, what's that response that everybody hates it, when they it get depends. into it? It depends. is the most irritating response to people that are new to permaculture. But if you're, like, have been in it for a while, then you understand that it really does depend and it's not just a cop-out. And it's easy. I remember when I first took that PDC, I was thinking, man, this guy didn't know what he's doing, you know? And then and the more you do it, yes, it does depend. So with that being the case, uh, water procurement, let's talk about that for a minute because let's say you're in a, if you're in a rural environment, I guess, and it's bare land, well, you know you're going to have to drink something. So it's either going to come from under the ground, it's going to come on the surface of the ground, or it's going to come from the sky, or you're going to go buy it out of a store or, or a truck that comes by and fills up your cistern. You got to have water. I mean, there's this yeah. constant debate in permaculture. What do you start with? Is it access or is it water? And sometimes they're the same thing because sometimes your access is a dam wall that creates a pond. So that that's why there's a debate between the two because the, the water can determine access and vice versa. I would also suggest, I mean, there's a lot of people that come from the IT world. I don't know why. Well, I guess I do know why. I've asked a couple of them before. A lot of people come from the IT world. And strangely enough, I have not met, I don't know that I've ever met anybody that came from the skills trade department that got into permaculture outside of us. I can't think of any off the top of my head. Um, there have been, I've met acrobats that yeah. have gotten into permaculture. I haven't <laughs> met any carpenters. <laughs> well, ain't that funny? I mean, this is like, I, I and a part of that is why I'm so stoked about doing this podcast in general is because... Everybody out there, like Danny at Deep South, when I asked him about permaculture, he was re- he was reluctant to even bring up the word at the time because he said all the crazies come out. Well, everybody in the skilled trades, um, a lot of times they feel as if, uh, you know, a lot of those people come from a more, let's call it conservative tradition. And the second they hear somebody going on like they do, right. they're automatically checking out. So here's what I'm going to say. And this is, I've really thought about this. Think about getting a trade, um, and l- let's just think about those trades that are available to you. One that could actually put money in your pocket and at the same time be really great skills you could use on the homestead. Like, let's say, well, the easiest one right out of the bat is carpentry. I mean, you can't beat that. 
Um, I'm a journeyman electrician, and a lot of these skills kind of overlay with, let's say, carpentry or maybe even pipe fitting to a certain extent. Um, in that last video, you know, I'm out there bending conduit. Well, that's a skill that I've acquired as being a journeyman. So maybe you might want to consider if you're really thinking about making a jump and you got a while to go, do what I did when it came to the butcher's trade. Offer to volunteer your time. I, I, I can't even begin to... Son, am I wrong? Apprenticeship is the best modality for learning. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure if you went up to a construction site and you just kept coming, they, I mean, they would eventually start paying you, I'm sure, especially if you're hardworking, even if you're just somebody's, like, handing somebody's tools or even just moving lumber back and forth. They're going to eventually teach you something if you keep showing up for free. Absolutely. When I showed up um, at the butcher's trade, and I don't know, I know I haven't talked about it in the podcast yet, but really, I kept, there was a buddy of mine, he was an electrician, got into the butcher's trade, and I thought, man, I got to learn this, man. I want to know how to process my animals instead of getting somebody else's back from the butcher. And like I've said a million times, the hardest thing in this world to find is an honest mechanic and an honest butcher. So it was tough getting in, a, in the door because at that time, every single hipster wanted to be a butcher. And I couldn't get in the door. And now I'm like, dude, I will work for free. And they still didn't call me back because they thought I was crazy. Then I went up there and, you know, I ended up, um, well, long story short, I offered to work for free. And even working on a free basis, I was still outperforming. I was much older than everybody else in there. But you better believe I was first in, last out, first to pick up the broom, made myself a hand. So all of those uh, former Michelin star chefs that became butchers, Man, they would go out of their way to teach me anything I wanted to know. And that's what you have to do if they're going to if you're expecting them to take their time to teach you, you have to be showing out like that. You have to work harder than everybody else that is getting paid. And think about the apprentices that came out here from one of the local places near Asheville. They sent yeah. out two guys that are literally in their early 20s. They're younger than you, son. They yeah. were one of them was like straight out of high school and I'm walking them around the farm. I'm telling them what I'm doing and every other word it's or every other time they're saying, well, that seems like a lot of work. And I'm like, okay, are you guys in this? This is going to floor you folks. I said, okay, are you guys wanting to be farmers? The one guy didn't even bat an eye. He says, look, they're paying me to be here. I'm like, what? He said, yeah, man, this is the best job I ever had. They're paying me 20 bucks to come out here to learn how to be a farmer. And then about that time, it took every ounce of self-control to not say, kid, raise up. <laughs> Marching needs to march his little butt out here. <laughs> <laughs> that was his name. Yeah, maybe we shouldn't say his name, son. But well, They didn't know that. You wouldn't have thought that was his name until you confirmed well, it. Well, <laughs> it wouldn't have made sense until, you know, I, I did explain it. But, yeah, go out there and make yourself a hand because, honestly, if you don't show me something, it, it even even when I was working as an electrician, um, I'd get some young apprentice in there and I know, you know, you can pretty much tell whether or not they're motivated and look, you know, I'm, I will teach you if, if you show me that you're interested at all, or you start zoning out, well, it's going to be different when I'm working in a trade. You know, my response to you is going to be very, very different and sometimes harsh if you need it, but I'm not going to sit here and spend all day motivating you, especially if this is something you choose to do. Now let's move on in the, well, the, hold on. I have some priorities, dad. I think, well, I mentioned composting in the beginning, but also food. I'm thinking priorities in preparation for like end times. So the priorities I'm thinking, the skills you need to learn is composting because, I mean, you're going to be growing your own food and that's going to be your fertilizer. And then also food preservation. If you have composting down, there's going to be an abundance of food. So don't stress too much about 
how do I grow this and how do I grow that? Just try to grow everything and then worry about food preservation because that's going to be the biggest issue. That's the hardest part of gardening is what do I do with all this food at once and how do I save it? Excellent point, son. I mean, we've been at this a long time and um, until we got that freeze dryer, man, it was always a nightmare. You know, you got to do a lot of canning. You can only run the canner so long, you know, now we can run the canner if we have to along with the fruit, uh, the freeze dryer right. or yeah. use the dehydrator, which I really, of all the things to do, that's the one I like least. But yeah, before that, let me back up even more above all else. Um, you know, uh, you better have your life, especially these days, you better have your life on point with the almighty. Um, and we encourage everybody we can to accept Jesus as your savior because he is ours. And I should have started out everything with that because that really is number one at the top of the list. We pray Every single day as a family, I pray myself, um, you know, at least twice a day, try to do that even more. Um, and you'd be shocked when you, um, when you engage, I know some people are going to jump off at this point and you know, that's on you folks. That's one cool thing about this podcast. I'm not, I'm not holding anything back. Anything I feel like saying, I'm going to say, and that's, that's big on my list, but which might come with apologies later, but <laughs> <laughs> well, for now we'll go with it. <laughs> well, yeah, food food pres- preservation, son. I think you kind of hit on that a little bit. Um, yeah, food preservation. Um, and also at least learn how to process one large animal. Like if you learn how to process like a pig or a sheep, that's going to kind of help you with like a, a deer. Or if you learn how to process a sheep, that's going to kind of help you with a pig and a deer. You'll at least be able to get through it and eat something from it. That's why every time we do a processing class, when it comes to a large animal, is typically a pig. I mean, uh, we haven't yet done a class where it was a... No, we did do sheep class, yeah. Yeah, we did a sheep class yeah. over at Renewed Homestead. Right, right. So here's what I do, y'all. There's different ways to cut up different animals, but I use a method that streamlines all of it. So whenever you do a class that I'm part of, whether it's a self-reliance, no matter the animal, that's why... Whenever you're in a class that I'm doing, you will hear me say it over. You're going to hear me say things over and over again. One of them is if it weighs, it pays. Um, You know, you're going to hear me say other things. And by the time you walk out of there, you're probably going to be having these phrases echo in your head. But the method we teach, and this has been a big opposition for me for a while, where all these, I guess the end thing now is to have some, you know, some highfalutin butcher come out and show you how, how to make prosciutto, capicola, mortadella, all that stuff. No, you don't need to know that right now. Just learn how to dispatch an animal, gut it, skin it, break it into primals, break it into cuts, know how to do your bacon and your sausage. Learn that, and then I'll show you how to do some of those high-end things. And how to compost the waste. Bam. That's my dog. That's what I'm talking about, son. <laughs> so <laughs> let's move on into... Um, you know, I almost forgot about this, um, and this is a skill that I am not that great at. Go hey, ahead. I was just thinking, with this sound pad, we could actually do sound effects like that if we wanted to. Well, it might annoy some of the people out there. I mean, you know, we're up here, dude. We I'd hate to mess up this 80s funk that we got playing on this thing, bro. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, you got to love the Gap Band, man. Plus, that's part of the other, you know, that's the other part of this podcast that I'm excited about is that, you know, most of the podcasts out there in the farming realm, you know, they have their way of doing things. And um, I'm like, okay, that doesn't at all fit into the way I want to do it. So we're going to do it the way we want. And um, yeah. hopefully people like it. So with that said, okay, we covered all these other things. Now let's get into something that I am woefully awful at. And that is wild foraging. Right. 
So. Yeah, I think when we met Randy over at that Back to the Land Festival, I real I it kind of changed my perspective on on uh, permaculture and that we should really only be growing things that aren't indigenous to this area. I mean, we should which when you think about it is really a lot of things that we grow is aren't indigenous to this area but with all the food that is just out right outside this window we i think we need to change our perspective on what we grow and what we harvest just wild foraging man you said it all right there but it also pointed out to me and you know to a certain extent i mean people may think that we're experts concerning certain things and i'll leave that for somebody else to make that determination but um there are a few things in this world that I consider my ex- myself an expert on, and wild foraging ain't one of them. We're experts in pointing people in the right direction. Well, yeah, I guess so. <laughs> you know, there are certain things that we may have more knowledge, and there's a lot more that we don't have knowledge about, and that's one area where I am woefully off. So that's another skill you might want to consider on your homestead. Um, let me throw this other one in there, son, and it kind of goes into what we were doing the last – you know, you came in that last podcast and you were in pain. Okay. Oh, why? Yeah. So self-defense. Right. Yeah. Um, that's not a bad idea. I mean, if I wouldn't focus too much on hand to hand self-defense, I'm doing jujitsu because I really enjoy doing jujitsu. But if it comes down to hand to hand defense, you messed up a while ago. <laughs> well, and that brings me to my, one of my brothers. Um, he was really in the hand gut. I mean, man, I, I've really got to be careful here, but um, he's in the handguns, okay? And he's thinking that, oh, I got a handgun, I'm safe. You know, he has no rifle or had none at the time. And he was thinking, okay, well, I'm perfectly, you know, straight. I'm like, okay, let, let me let me just point something out to you. Your accuracy with that handgun is not even close to what my accuracy would be with a, let's say, a 22. Well, yeah. And, I mean, a handgun is a good argument if you're carrying, like, outside of I mean, if you're carrying out and about and stuff like that, but as far as like home defense and all that, that the handgun is, should not be your first priority or even self-defense, like hand-to-hand self-defense. That well, doesn't make sense. Either. I brought that up to him and it was like, hey man, how about a shotgun? Well, you know, what if somebody has my, my son or something around the neck? And I'm like, dude, you've watched too many TV shows. Then it got too far. <laughs> yeah, you got <laughs> I mean, think about also in that self-defense, I mean, you know, it was it was understood in the military that if you ever had to use your sidearm, that they are danger close and, you know, things are not looking very good for you. You probably ain't going to make it if you got to use a, you know, a, a weapon that you like a handgun, you know. Yeah. Wake up when the dog starts barking, not after it stops barking. Yeah. But when he told me that, I'm like, hold on, man. What? What do you think this is? Lethal, lethal weapon? I mean, they're going to go in there. Put it down, copper. I'm going to I'm like, no, dude, you need a. You need a shotgun and then you need a rifle and whether or not he took any of that information or that, you know, any of that, I I don't know. But also at the end of the day, son, having those close combat skills in terms of, um, you know, jujitsu or Krav Maga or any number of things out there may not be a bad idea because there are times where you may not have, let's say you flew into, let's say St. Louis. Well, you clearly didn't get on that plane with a weapon, right? So you got on the ground and let's say you're leaving the airport, whatever the case may be, pick any scenario. And, um, you know, some fool jumps up out of the woods and all of a sudden he's wanting to throw down on you. So 
You might, or maybe a couple of them, you know. Yeah. <laughs> it just pops out of the woods after you got out of the airport. <laughs> no, I mean, I'm saying he left the airport, man. He had to pee on the side of the road. I mean, whatever the case. It's St. Louis, man. It could happen anywhere. I mean, it could be. <laughs> Point being is that you never know. It it's probably, not a bad idea. Right. It, but it's not for a homestead. Maybe that's not your chief thing. But it's also a good way to, for you to keep in shape, and I plan on getting back into it myself, you know. I would say Krav Maga is better for that scenario than jiu-jitsu. Um, I mean, Krav Maga is kind of hard to even practice because it is that, like, violent, which right. is what you need in that situation. Exactly. The downside of learning mixed martial arts and some of the others is that you're you're still working within a framework of rules. In Krav Maga, you aren't. It's what's effective, what is going to get you out of there, it's probably one of the best um, fighting systems out there. There are times during practice where you're going to have a, a motorcycle helmet on so people can actually practice on you. Right, right. So, I mean, consider that. So, you know, you want firearms, clearly. I know that goes without saying, but you're, we're saying what skills to prioritize. Now, at the top of this list, as far as how to say this is first, this is second, this is third, I can't do that. The only Because I don't know your situation. We really don't. It depends. There you go. There you go. Okay, now everybody just turned off the podcast. Thanks, son. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> Here's another one I want to talk about, and it's more of a, to my knowledge, for the longest time, in terms of preparedness, we were the only ones that I'm aware of that were actually pointing this one out. And I've noticed since that others have kind of gotten on board, and I'm not saying, hey, you know, you stole this from me. It's nothing like that. And that is fat procurement in terms of survival. Right. I mean, you got, yeah. I, I don't understand for the longest time when I was, when we, before we got into permaculture, we were long, I was long into the preparedness movement and the issues I've had with the preparedness movement is that back in the day, I'm sure, you know, I'll have to ask Bobby about it and see what it's like now, but you would have guys and gals all with their pet sort of, um, things that they, one guy be in the guns, one guy be in the cars. And I'm like, well, is anybody growing any food? Right. Or, I mean, well, talking about fat procurement, I can't talk, procurement, um, insects are actually high in fat. Man. I, I know it's a worst case scenario, but insects no. are high in fat. So if you have a black soldier fly larva trap for your chickens, you Worst case scenario, you could dip into that too. <laughs> Make oh, a no, man. Uh -uh. Hey, it probably isn't too bad with eggs if you cook it up. <laughs> well, if you got eggs, you ain't worried about nothing else anyway. But well. no, if, what I'm saying is when we when we did that video, like feed yourself for 73 days or whatever the case was. It was um, like 73.5 days. Yeah, on 100 bucks, I think is what it mm -hmm. was. You'll notice that in that video, I, I threw in there a big uh, vat of actually, it was even organic, was uh, coconut oil. Right. You got it like Sam's. It came in a pack. Right. Well, the, yeah, the coconut oil did. Yeah. So here's where everybody kind of misses the boat. When you're thinking about survival situations, think about it. The hardest thing to find in nature is fat. And everybody for the longest time has been missing the boat on that. So I would say, I mean, you could look even at some of those uh, gratuitous uh, TV survival shows and Carbs are pretty easy to come by, you know, if you can find some leaves or whatever you can eat out there. Carbs and protein are pretty, I mean, well, they're carbs not easy. are easy, they're easier than fat. Well, none of it's really easy if you had to, like, swipe it from the land. 
but a lot of people are, are never putting any thought into where they're going to get any good fat. I mean, think yeah. about it. Carbs and protein are only four gram or four calories per gram. And fat, you get nine calories per gram, so it's a better store of energy. Yeah, you also might want to think into uh, producing like nut trees, that like heavy producing nut trees and stuff like that. It's going to take a while for it to get to production, so plant them now. But yeah, that's not a bad idea either. Well, son, that's you just took the words right out of my mouth. Depending on where you live, you know, nut trees are going to be the best way to maybe get fat from outside nature. Now. Of course, we grow pigs exactly for that reason. Well, I think there's a nut. There should be, I think, a nut tree that should work in every every climate. I'm pretty sure there is. Yeah. Even if it's oak and you have to remove the tannins from acorns and stuff like that, there's still fat there. There might be some. I'm not sure how much is in an acorn, but at the end of the day, this is one of the big things that everybody seems to forget in the preparedness movement. They're like, okay, I got the, I got the beans, I got rice. Well, you ain't got no fat, Jack. I mean, you might want to consider that. So consider those nut trees. Consider those fat sources that you might be able to get if you were in a bind and you couldn't get it. Now, clearly, my number one fat source, at least out here, is going to be those guinea hogs that we process. I mean, one guinea hog, yeah, they're nowhere near the size of, let's say, a Yorkshire or any, or, you know, what it, you pick your pig. And they're not that big, at least not by and large they aren't, but... We don't raise them for that. You get a little bit of meat off of there, and the meat you do get is astonishingly fantastic. Yeah, every time they're in a competition, the the American guinea hog always wins. They're the best in the world at charcuterie, but it does take you got to be really careful how you raise them, and they're easy to get them too fat if you're not careful. But at the end of the day, I'm I'm looking to store that fat, so it is of no great problem because I'm really not raising those pigs for meat. I am raising them for fat. Right. So. Consider your fat procurement out there. Um, oh, also uh, medical, like first aid and stuff like that. Because if it is like the the end times, I mean, you need to know how to treat a cut properly because you can't go get antibiotics from the doctor or anything like that or neosporin or anything. So you might want to start thinking about those things now. Like Steve Quayle also always says, you know, um, and I, I think I think he, nobody has ever, ever said it any better. It was like, I don't care how tough you are. I don't care whatever one little virus, one little bug, one little bacteria will put you on your butt and maybe even kill you or amputate you. One little amoeba from unclean water could do that. <laughs> That's exactly what I'm getting at. So yeah, first aid has got to be up on that list, but also another skill that I'm actually quite good at by no means an expert in anything, but that's bartering. You better start working on those yeah. skills now. And it doesn't have to be, you know, everybody's thinking, well, well, let me ask you this. I've heard, I've asked this question before, and the response has generally been the same. Like, well, you know, what do you intend to do if things go sideways? And, well, I'll barter. Well, have you ever bartered before? It's just like the people that say, well, I'll go out hunting. Have you ever been hunting before? Right. And and working on general people skills, I, can, I think we can recommend this to all homesteaders that attend these festivals and stuff like that. Working on people skills would not be a bad idea. There's a lot of introverts at these festivals. Yeah. And to a certain extent, I'm one of them. Um, I know that sounds crazy. I know that sounds crazy, but folks, I'm very, very comfortable in my own mind and I'm really cool. I, you know, when you would take that stupid Briggs test and they'd say, okay, you're an introvert, extrovert, whatever the case may be. Well, I'm both depending on the situation. And I think just about everybody is depending on the situation, but yeah, getting back to that bartering thing, 
Uh, whether you're an introvert, extrovert, you might want to practice those skills now. And speaking of bartering, son, why don't we sell honey? Because it's more valuable to us bartering with. Absolutely. Abs- we, we couldn't sell it for the same price that we get through bartering. Right. We have gotten, well, just down there, we got these triple ground, uh, m- this mulch that we got from this mulch yard. You know, really awesome stuff. You know, we want stuff that's preferably as refined as it, when I say refined, I mean, this ground up as best it can, especially if it's a carbon source like that, because it's going to take time off of the, of the fungus breaking it down eventually, which yeah, is that triple ground mulch mulch is a ground, you know, three times and then also aged for a year, I think, and flipped throughout the process. It's really good, high quality mulch. Right. So not everybody's going to have access to that, but we do. And we're seeing results from that stuff, I mean, in an unbelievable kind of way. But the point I'm getting at, the guy we get it from, folks, I'm not exaggerating. I'm not going to tell anybody who that is. So, um, yeah, he prefers to remain nameless. But seriously, I think I've given him probably somewhere in the neighborhood of maybe a gallon, maybe a gallon and a half of honey. Over the years, yeah. Yeah, over the last couple of years. And I bet we've gotten probably... I don't even know how many thousands of dollars of triple ground wood mulch we got from that guy just because we gave him honey. Yeah, it's been quite a bit, quite a bit. Right, so that honey is more valuable to him because he knows he cannot buy this kind of honey, especially when you have allergy issues or some of the other ailments that he uses, not only for himself but for his mom. I believe she was ailing as well. His mom got a taste of that honey. She said, I don't care what you got to do. You get me more of that honey, which, by the way, son, we need to go down there and go see Matt. Yeah, yeah, we need to get some more mulch. Yeah, um, but going back to that bartering thing, it could be any number of ways we go about it um, as far as as far as how you can use that. But like I said, honey is far more valuable to us as a bartering tool than anything else. And speaking of honey, son, what do you make? What are you making right now? Right now, I'm on week three of my mead. I'm making mead. It's just the uh, mead is actually pretty cool. It only is a few ingredients. It's uh, it's the honey, it's water, yeast, and raisins. And then you just let it sit in a carboy for uh, three weeks. You add a little bit more yeast and whatever flavoring you're going to do. I'm just keeping it plain uh, honey this this time around. Um and then you add a little bit more yeast and let it sit for three more weeks. So in six weeks total, you have finished mead without really much effort. Yeah, That's but nobody crazy. even drinks in this house. So what are you even making it for? Might sell it at the uh, Self-Reliance Festival. Oh, so yeah. Okay, so yeah, we'll get sell all your money. <laughs> sell it by the bottle. <laughs> all right. So um, with that, y'all, we're going to come back in a minute and get into the q and I think you're going to like it. All right, here we go back, back, back with the Q&A, y'all. Hopefully you've been digging it up to, you know, up till now. Um, we're going to spend as much time as we can within, um, I think we're going to, we're still working on the format. Right now we got all the technical things worked out, at least, I mean, so far it seems that way. Hopefully. I think so. I think we got everything worked out. We'll find out after we mix this thing. <laughs> yeah, well, that's the cool thing about this, y'all. This is done like a live broadcast. We're not, 
There is no cutting and pasting anything. We're literally, we're playing music in between just to, you know, change notes, uh, change pages on the notes, so to speak, whatever. Yeah, one take. Yeah, one take. That's right. That's how one take permapastures farm. That's how we do it. There's uh, rappers that bring, brag about that. What, doing it in one take? Doing it in one take, yeah. Well, I guess we're doing it in one take. So we're going to get into the Q&A. Um, there was somebody out of Texas, uh, I think it was Central Texas, named Carmen that was... There was a number of questions in there, and first off, they were asking about, um, it was a series of things. I, I guess I'll just break it down where they talked about, well, son, I'll just throw this right to you. Uh, what success and failure did we have with fruit trees back in Texas? Oh, man. I mean, the success rate on trees in Texas uh, is a lot lower than it is here just because of the harsh like environment. You really have to be right on time with your planting in Texas if you're if you're planting for success, um, the best way to uh, you know achieve that is by planting in the fall, planting when everything's dormant, so it can focus on that root growth. Also, uh, water harvesting ditches, also known as swales, that would be ideal, especially if you're in central Texas. You need to be harvesting as much rainfall as you can and soaking it back into the landscape. Well, you know, also when it comes to um you know, as far as the success we've had, actually, some we had a fair amount of success when it came to. Yeah, it just wasn't as I guess North Carolina has spoiled me. Um, well, it has. Everything's it, it's super easy to plant trees here. But it even rains there, all the time. even there, we didn't really have a whole lot in terms of losses. It, well, let me back up. When we were calling the shots, right. yeah, when we were calling the shots on a particular project. Um, we didn't have, and I'm not bragging folks. I'm just saying there are people that say, well, I just want this because whatever, well, it's not suited for this zone. The success rate skyrocketed whenever we put in swales. Always every single time. But in addition to that, well, you're picking the right cultivar for the area you live in, but let's not also forget that it is critical in my view in a, in a place like Texas that you put those trees, and for the life of me, I never understood this, why all these nurseries bring out all their trees in the spring. You ought yeah. to be doing that in the fall. Dr. Carl Whitcomb out of Oklahoma State did extraordinary work on this, and so many, I mean, this guy did a lot of awesome things, and we use a lot of it here. Most people never heard of the guy, and the only reason I know about him is because of Stefan Sapkowiak, and then I got to examining this guy's work, and he's an absolute genius. Well, he finds out that when you, you your success rate for planting is infinitely higher when you plant them in the fall. So why everybody, and I know why they do it. They do it for marketing reasons, why they, at the nurseries, you know, the big box stores or whatever right. the case. Because you don't want to be buying trees that don't have any leaves on them during the fall. Nobody's thinking about planting trees in the fall, but everybody's thinking about planting during the early and mid spring. Right. The second those leaves come off, you want to be putting those things in the ground. And Dr. Wickham basically figured out that, just about all of the root growth that happens in a fruit tree happens when it is dormant. When all the sugars go back to the soil, that's when it's working on its root growth. So when you can do it that way and when you prune in the fall, and there's good argument to be made that it can be done really anytime, but typically when you do that, it is putting every bit of effort into that root growth, which means it's going to be a more solid tree when you come out of dormancy and it's had all those roots really go down there. And like William said, even if you can put it on the swale, that even helps even more. 
Yeah, go ahead. Well, the point being is that that tree is going to be have a better chance. It's going to be more robust. And by the way, don't make that colossal mistake of thinking, oh, this is a big tree. I'll plant this. Nope. Your success rate is going to be much, much, much better if you get a small, small tree with a lot of those uh, micro roots on them. The real name escapes hair roots. The hair roots. There you go. If you can get that and put in that small tree, your success is going to skyrocket over one that looks bigger. And also plant bare roots. Don't get the, especially if you're in central Texas, the soil that's in your ground is very different than what's in that uh, pot of that tree. So I would recommend getting bare roots, let them uh, acclimate quickly to the surrounding soil instead of waiting for two years until the roots start leaving the potting soil area. And then they come in contact with that heavy clay and they realize they don't like that. And then they just fall over because they don't establish roots. Right. And if you have to do a pot, you know, dig that hole, put it in there. And um, bare roots are always our go-to without a doubt, because your, your survivability is going to be much higher. But then again, we don't baby trees either. Trees are one of my passions too, because you know, it's that passive food production, but it is just, it is just so awesome for me. There's nothing more fulfilling for me than putting, well, I can't say that. I say it all the time regarding, you know, moving animals or whatever, but I love planting trees. I love seeing them grow. I love to prune them. Um, that gets me in trouble with some of the permaculture people, but I don't care. You can also get, uh, pretty bulk sizes of, uh, bare roots through like your NRCS agent and stuff like that. I mean, you can get like bare root trees can be very cheap. Can be, yeah. Even some of the more highly coveted ones, like those um, that Evercrisp apple that I ended up getting. I guess we're we're spending a little. I love being able to open up the um, window a little bit wider when it comes to answering these questions. But yeah, we'll cover. Believe me, I throughout think you this, got enough tips on how to plant trees in Texas. Yeah, so there, there you go. There also, you, we have a swale workshop coming up at the end of July, July thirtieth and thirty first in Camden, Tennessee. It'll be linked in the show notes below. Yeah, so if you're in one of those places like Tennessee, like Oklahoma, like Texas, like Kansas, like any number of places, it might be something you want to go to. Um, like I said, don't think we're out here just peddling tickets because we're trying to make some money because fact is we ain't making nothing on this. I mean, yeah, this is just a really awesome project that I am willing to. And plus, John's a friend of ours. Um, we've learned so much. It's the least we can do. Just if nobody was coming, we would be doing this project anyway. Yeah. It's going to get done regardless, really. Right. I mean, we're doing it and we're like, okay, if we're going to do it, maybe some other people want to know about it. So let's invite some folks. Well, as often as we get asked about swales, I mean, this class is going to be packed. I would hope so. Yeah. I definitely would. I mean, but then again, I know there's a lot of things going on in this world, but honestly, folks, you know, it's all about what, you know, this, the theme of this podcast today or I'm sorry, Pimpcast was, Pimpcast. that's right. What skills to prioritize. And so, you know, maybe learning how to do, you know, you notice we didn't say permaculture design or any of that stuff in there. We were talking about some basic skills, but yeah, this is part of it, you know? Okay. So this same person, Carmen also said, I don't know if it's a he or she, um, but it says that they were not having any luck with any fruit or nut trees. Um, we covered a lot on that last one, but I'll just briefly touch on this. Well, first place I would go, apparently the ones that have been there, the way I understand it, is they haven't produced at all. So first thing I'm thinking, okay, do they need pollinators? Uh, do you have other well, trees? You can't plant a single apple. Without yeah, does it depend on, I mean, how, were the trees, did she plant the trees herself? I don't know if it's a he or she. Or I did mean, they plant, did Carmen plant the trees himself? 
I don't know. I didn't get all that information, but okay. I'll just I'll we'll just say this and leave it there because we don't really have enough to go with. But um I'm going to be saying, okay, your pollinators probably ain't the issue. You probably need some brothers and sisters for that tree. Well, I was thinking if it's an old tree and you inherited the tree, it might be out of production. Um, also, I was thinking like fertilizer. It might need like a nitrogen fixer nearby to help fertilize that tree and also do a heavy mulching. Oh, no, you didn't just bring up nitrogen, son. You know that's a bad word <laughs> yeah. these days. Yeah, now you can't use nitrogen to grow in Sri Lanka and... Is it Austria? Everywhere. Yeah. Everywhere. Yeah. So nitrogen's now, you know, CO2 was bad. Now it's nitrogen. But gas is a green fuel now. Oh, how about that? Yeah. Wow. Who knew? So no luck with the weeds. Also, Carmen was bringing that up too, as far as um, there was absolutely no, um, I get, I didn't get into that either, but um, as far as the weeds go, it all depends on how you're looking at it. Are they weeds or are they pioneer species? By and large, when you see what you call weeds, well, that's usually telling you something. Um, you're either got too much of one thing or too little of another. And by and large, you probably got some life, some one of the quadrants of life are probably missing in that soil. Right. And I was thinking about those trees some more. Um, it depends on how long you plant, like how long ago you planted them as well. Like if you planted them earlier this spring, they're really not going to produce much fruit, if any fruit at all this year. So a good like a good measurement is usually four years after you plant is when you should start getting like heavy production. Well, as far as the um, the weeds go, okay, I, I, that's one of those things. It depends. I mean, as far as keeping the weeds down or native grasses, um, is it in the gardening spot? There's information we don't have here. So, you know, what we typically do, I could take a pile of weeds and I could turn it into something productive just by doing an instant garden right on top of it. Yeah, I mean also keep in mind guys and these email questions and stuff you're not going to send us too too much information no whoa whoa, whoa. hold up son hold on those emails Dad are going to me emails, Jack. so no. send as much information as <laughs> no i'm playing but there, i mean there are certain details that we are going to need to know in order to answer these questions to the full extent like how long ago did you plant the trees uh what kind of weeds are you dealing with Stuff like that. Where I mean, where you live is a really big one, too. Well, the last one from Carmen was uh, how to manage water while keeping down rats and snakes. Now, let me just jump right into the or how to manage. I'm, that's yet another question that's leaving out some things. But everybody trips about rats and snakes. And, you know, there's a fundamental, you know, people just recoil when they see either one of them. Who doesn't? I mean, I do. I know rats I, don't really bother me. Snakes bother me. Well, I have a special relationship with snakes, but rats don't really bother me. That yeah, much. well, them snakes bothered me. The first time I had a rattlesnake put that rattle on me when I was in Texas, man, it's like, and the thing about it, I don't know what it is about a rattlesnake. When they commence to rattling, you can't tell what direction it's coming from. Yeah, it sounds like it's coming from every, did you know that they're finding mutations in rattlesnakes without the rattle now? Wow. Wow. Well, that's a bad thing. <laughs> Which also shows that mutations are never beneficial to the end of the host. Huh. Because a rattlesnake is a rattle on a rattlesnake is to protect the rattlesnake. Well, how about that? <laughs> well, gee, I mean, you know, I'm wow. We're finding out everything's just the polar opposite <laughs> of what they tell us. But yeah, as far as the uh, the rats or the the rats, the mice, the snakes and stuff, maybe those snakes are keeping them in balance. Okay, now nobody is crazy about hanging out with a water moccasin, especially in that part of Texas. You know, we've had our fair share of dealings with those rattlesnakes as well. And as far as I'm concerned, they're all king cobras. Um, but 
what is so incredibly wrong about trying to coexist with some of this stuff? And now I'm saying that tongue, you know, I'm, I, I got to say that carefully. Well, coexisting means I don't invade their area and they don't invade mine. Meaning like, so in permaculture design, there's also like wildlife corridors that are planned in. So if you have potential issues with snakes around your pond, maybe on one side of the pond where you don't do much work, put out a route or like a rock outcropping and then never visit again. <laughs> right. <laughs> never that, visit that the rock works. outcropping again. Cause th that's what the snakes are looking for. That's what the snakes want is a place where they can go sunbathe. That's near the water. They can get their food and stuff like that. So the snakes will help keep your rats and mice down and the snakes will usually stay in the areas that you want them to stay in. Right. So when it comes to a lot of this stuff, y'all, it's, um, it's going to be, it depends on a number of it, but kind of think about instead of just clear cutting a forest, we don't want to do that. We also want to be, it's the same thing with the animals. If you have what you see as a pest. Now, if there's something in there killing your stock, yeah, you don't want that. You're going to have to deal with that. That's not at all something you want to try to deal with in any way, shape or form or, or, or allow to keep happening. Well, also, if you have like an overpopulation of rats or snakes this season, just wait until next season and you'll you'll notice that it's balancing out like your birds will start. If you're planting trees, your birds will start moving in. How many? I mean, Dad, how many hummingbirds do I have? Do we yeah. have this year? There's yeah. at least eight out there battling over the hummingbird feeders. Right. But that's just a small example of the amount of birds that are coming in. Like Jeff Lawton's place, he has birds living on his property that are not supposed to exist in that part of Australia. Well, I saw the same thing down at Deep South Homestead when I got out of the car just before we got to their place. You, it was deafening with silence. I get to their place. I step out of the car, and I'm telling you what, you could hardly even talk because of all the birds that were around there, all seven layers of a forest right there. Any, I mean, it was a perfect demonstration site of what a, a, a healthy forest should look like. But just down the road, just a stone's throw from his place, it was the polar opposite. But birds everywhere teeming with every activity and life imaginable. So that's not necessarily a bad thing. So just think about how to keep some of these things in balance. Um, you know, and let's say, you know, at the end of the day, you could look at it. Remember, we always look at things in a permaculture sort of way. Maybe you don't have a rat problem. Maybe you have a lack of snake problem. Maybe you don't have a rat problem. Maybe you have a lack of barn cat problem. Yeah, maybe you need some barn cats. Right. Just like you don't have a tick problem, you have a lack of guineas problem. Well, well that's a double-edged sword. because Then you, you got to deal with dumb birds. Well, <laughs> dumb and loud, guineas. loud, nasty, loud Good night, man. The, the sounds on those guys. But think about that. Let's stop thinking about things in a reductionistic worldview. And we got to start looking at them in a holistic worldview. If we're going to, it's going to make your life easier. And I'm, it's, it's been a process. I mean, for all of us, and it's only going to, you know, we got to try to work our way through that. All right. Next question comes from Lori. Um, okay. Come from a complete novice. Okay. Yeah. Basically the question is, um, basically how I under, at least how I'm understanding it is, uh, should I be getting a PDC because you mentioned it was one of the best investments in your education or be hiring a designer as they can view the land with a dispassionate eye and see none of the, none of the above. I don't, I don't understand completely Wait, what that means. Was this for the podcast or was she asking for a design? Dad? No, no. It was like, <laughs> what do I do? Do I just get the PDC? Well, okay. First of all, Going right back, and it covers the last program we did, and it's also um, regarding a PDC. I am going to encourage everybody out there to please get a permaculture design certificate. And 
I don't make any money on this, but it is going to give you the option to know how, what are the right questions to ask? How should I go about this? What methods should I use? Just try to get yourself there. And look, there's a lot of online PDCs that are actually affordable and decent. Um, we've talked about the one over at, um, uh, what was it? Uh, school of permaculture. And, um, you know, Jeff Lawton has one online. Now it's a little pricey, but in my view, it's the best permaculture design course on the planet. Yeah. You get a ton of tools that you get to keep with you after taking his, uh, permaculture design course. I mean, you really get a, like the bang for your buck on that. I one. was floored. I was floored. I mean, your mom was doing it and I was going through it with her. And, um, you know, I'm like, wow. The one I did in person was fantastic, but they say, they always say you should get two PDCs. And I think you should separate those by a year. Um, in fact, I'm feeling like I probably ought to go back and do it again because there are so many things in there and it's well worth it. I think as far as your question, Lori, I think you should do both. Uh, you should get a PDC and you also, you also should have somebody design your property, even if it's another student from your PDC. Just get their opinion on your property because they're going to look at it in a different different light. Um, it's never a bad idea to get like a, you know, a qualified person to come do your, like do your, uh, con consultation and stuff. Right. Even if it's another person, because it's like why they tell doctors never to treat their own families because they're always going to say, Oh, that's my brother, Jimmy, or, and they're, they're not going to take your advice so seriously. Um, so that's exactly why you want to, I don't know why that is among human beings, but you know, you would think because they are your family that, you know, maybe you would, you would trust their judgment just a tad bit more than a stranger, but it doesn't work that way. But in the permaculture world, especially, I mean, think about it. There are times where we've given advice. I've given advice and said, okay, you probably ought to put your chickens here. Your kitchen garden ought to go about here. And every single time, I can't think of a single time that I've done any kind of consultation where anybody ever took the advice. And then they wind up with egg all over their faces because they, they're realizing they're working twice as hard when you didn't have to. You could, you zoned everything not the way you should have because you didn't look at it with a dispassionate eye. I would, for your first PDC, if you're going to go with the two PDC route, your first PDC I would do in person, especially now. So that way you at least have, you've come into contact with other people with the same interest and at least one of those people you should be able to work with depending on the size of the class. Right. And you could uh, do one of these things like, hey, I'll look at your place. You look at mine and we go back and forth like, OK, um, I think you ought to do this. I think you ought to do that. Believe it or not, it makes all the difference in the world when you can have somebody. Now, we are well past that point. I can look at a property of my own and, you know, obviously we're all permaculture designers here. Every last one of us, uh, me, Michelle and William anyway. And when we have we can now look at this thing and check each other and say, look, I don't think it ought to go here or I think it ought to work better here. Like we're not going to put a house in a, in a area that collects water just because it has a pretty view right there. Right. How many times have I seen that? I can't even tell you yeah. where, um, there's a barn in an area that where all the water funnels just down the road from us. And it's an old barn. I don't know what they were thinking I don't, on that Yeah, one. for the life of me, that thing was probably a 100-year-old barn, yeah. and it is in the worst spot imaginable. So when it, comes to, when it comes to all these things, especially if you're not a person, 
you ought to do it no matter what. But if you're not a person that can separate, if you're even the slightest bit emotional, which you probably are because it's your property, always try to bring in somebody from the outside. Um, even if it's a person that doesn't necessarily have a permaculture background, maybe if you can't find anybody, just consider getting anybody else to kind of look this over and say, Hey, does this make sense at the very least? And honestly take their advice. So with that said, uh, we don't really have time for any more questions today, even though there were a number of them in there, folks, we'll do better at trying to get these all worked out. Remember if you need bone sauce, you got it at the website. I think there's going to be descriptions down below, I guess. Yeah. Everything we mentioned will be linked down below. Right. Bone Um, sauce, bone sauce, comfrey, comfrey salve, the workshop, all that stuff will be linked down below. Right. Remember that swale workshop, folks. We get hit up about that a lot. So sign up while you can. Um, it's going to be a really good class, and you're going to see it. at. It is going to floor you when you see what can happen with earthworks. You'll, you'll be able to go home, dig a swale, and plant it out after the class. All right, y'all. Remember, take all this stuff. Put it to work. You can do this. Don't believe the hype out there. I know there's a lot of strange, stupid, idiotic things going on in this world, but remember, we're here to empower you. You weren't given a power. You weren't given a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Until next time, this is Billy and William from Permapastors Farm on the Permaculture Pimpcast. We'll see y'all next time. Bye. Do it. It's like, hey, one thing I don't understand with some.